Welcome, 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 Housers, to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite. I am with a great organization called Blue Door. Blue Door is located just north of Toronto, and we operate in York, Durham, and Peel. Uh, we support our most vulnerable in the areas of housing, health, and employment. If you want to learn more about the great work at Blue Door, go to www.bluedoor.ca. My kids always say, you don't have to say the three W's, getting dad. I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, that's just the rebel I am. And we do this in partnership with our great friends at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Check out the great work they're doing at www.caeh.ca. If you want to become a Built for Zero community, you're in interested in the training they're doing. Uh, they do a lot of great advocacy work as uh, recently um, rallying Canadians around uh, the work that, uh, or a bylaw that was going to be passed in the city of Barrie. They rallied people and thankfully councillors took a step back from that. And I think CAH had a, a large uh, part in that. They do great work. They also have a conference coming up in uh, Halifax in the fall and they've released their uh, all their different speakers and presenters for that. So you want to check that out and hopefully get the early bird rate still. Regardless, a great bargain and a great time. Biggest conference of its size that's coming up in the fall. And we're going to have a lot of uh, the presenters on to give you a taste of who's going to be there on this podcast in the next little while. Let's talk about today's uh, podcast. Today I have uh, Nick Falvo, who uh, Nick You'll probably know he's uh, he's a researcher and consultant uh, in Canada. He works out of Calgary. He does a lot of great work. He's been on the podcast a few times to talk about some of the research he's done. And Mary Clark from the uh, Chartered Institute of Housing Canada, uh, and and they do a lot of educational work around providing specific courses of an education in the housing and homelessness uh, field. Uh, Mary's been on before as well, and so they organized something in uh, May of this year. They did a study tour of New York City. And I had the great privilege of going on that tour. You know, the idea of we can learn so much uh, from everyone who, who's close to us. And New York is very close to us. It's a short uh, flight away. Uh, we learned some great, we went and we uh, went, and we were in New York City, we we're in Brooklyn. Uh, we were in, uh, we went to New Jersey. Uh, we were in a public library where they're doing incredible stuff. It was a great tour. It was only about three days. Uh, and we had uh, people from across the sector, both kind of mid-level managers. We had some executive directors. We also had uh, people who are community police officers working with the community come on the tour from across Canada. So a great cross-sector of people, about 30 people. Uh, Mary and Nick talk about how they, they never thought the response would be uh, as positive as it was. They sold out in a week. Um, and they're organizing a tour for uh, London, England next year. But just incredible. Nick and Mary talk about their learnings while we were there, uh, some of the takeaways, some of the biggest surprises, um, and, and you know what they're thinking about for next year. It's a great podcast. It was a great conversation to have. I learned a lot when I was there. Some of the things where I thought, wow, well, we'd never do that, and here's why. And some things that, like uh, Larry Cohen, who we hope to have, the executive director of Point Source for Youth, uh, who talked about a direct cash transfer for youth, who I'd, I'd love to do that here. Um, and, and so uh, we hope to have him on to talk more about that. But we learned so much, and we can learn so much uh, from uh, talking with others around the world. And we did on the study tour. So check it out. I hope you love this podcast as much as I did uh, with Nick Falvo and Mary Clark. Here we go. Nick and Mary, so glad. Oh, look at that, Nick. It's perfect timing to just pop into the frame. There. <laughs> <Jack> <laughs> like, in the that, like that was planned. Um, thanks so much for joining the show from uh, underneath your desk today. Um, so glad to have you here. So excited to have the conversation. 
I'm really happy to be here. Good, good. Uh, listen, I'm going to just do a quick uh, wardrobe change here. That's, that's very important. Nice, I, nice. There we go. You know, and, and you'll see, I'll tell you why I'm doing this wardrobe change today. We're going to talk about, uh, like, the, the gist of this conversation is around a study tour that happened in New York City. Uh, and, well, we went over to New Jersey, too. But... This is my souvenir. I was on that tour. This is my souvenir from this, that tour from uh, Yankee Stadium where uh, we went to a game and it got rain delayed by about three hours. So we only caught half the game. But hence the New York Yankees hat. So Blue Jays fans would cut me a little slack. This is just for, this is just a prop. So welcome to the show. We begin every show the same way. Uh, and you've both had already from previ previous visits to the podcast some experience with this and we asked the question uh what does home mean to you nick we'll start with you and then we'll go to mary yeah for me home uh includes all important wraparound supports and i think a lot about that every day i think about that with respect to a family member of mine who's in support of housing i think about that in terms of policy discussions we don't talk about wraparound supports and that's got to change so we all, we need all necessary wraparound supports and we need to fund them accordingly. Very, very cool. And you're absolutely right. It is not necessarily about four walls and a roof. It's about what happens in between. Mary, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I tried to come up with an answer that was different, Michael, because I probably would have given you the same one. But, but I know I've answered this before. So um, I, I'm going to expand a little bit and say home to me is really that, that bubble that you can create for yourself in the world where you're, you're safe and you belong and you're, you're protected. And Often that's our, our household bubble or our family bubbles where we get to control that part of our lives and that part of our space uh, that we have control over. Um, and, and a lot of that is, is the supports and the things that we bring into our house to make us um, feel okay, right? Where we can reset and recharge ourselves before we go out into the world again. You know, it, it's such a, a great answer, Mary. And I think of that um, even in relation to encampments, right? Where people are, how can people consider that home? And it's not about, you know, the, the tent or whatever structure you're living in. It's what you were just saying, where this is where I feel okay. This is where mm -hmm. I feel safe. Uh, this is where I connect with my people, you know, in this encampment. And uh, this is home to me. So home can take many shapes and forms. And it really is a lot about the, the connections. Yeah, so, absolutely. Thank you both for that. So, in case people may not know who you are, I'm sure they do, uh, but you both had different, um, and Mary, the work you do now really talks about how people don't kind of uh, start in this sector, but you've had different journeys into this sector. So Mary, we're going to start with you. You just tell us a little bit about your journey into the work you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and Michael, you're right. This is a question I also love to ask people. Um, I had a meeting an hour ago where I, I started with this conversation. How did you get here? How did you get to the seat in housing? Um, so my journey started when I was at uh, university still. I was at McGill studying urban planning, became really interested in the intersection about how do you do environmental planning that actually makes housing more affordable? So not just the unit design, but where do you put the unit? Where's the transit system? How does it fit in the city? How do you access all those services that you're going to need um, to make everything about your life affordable and not just your rent check? So that was sort of my introduction into it. Um, like many people, I didn't have in that program a very clear affordable housing element. I had to kind of make it up as I went along. 
And that worked really well because I actually reached out to CHRA at the time. The executive director there, Sharon Chisholm, was really helpful in introducing me to people in the sector who filled in all those gaps for me. Um, so they were a wonderful compliment to my academic professors I had at university. Um, and you know what, I was thinking about this, and that's actually when I met Nick Falvo for the first time. We met while I was doing my master's research because we both got um, grants from what was then Social Housing Services Corporation in Ontario, now HSC. Um, and they were encouraging students who were doing research to do some housing research. And so this was really, really great for me because once again, it was the work I was interested in doing, but HSC did that work to connect me to all the practice that was actually happening. So it wasn't just sort of academic theory, but practical on the ground. So that was my, my first introduction into the housing world. Um, and then I landed at CIH a couple of years ago. And so now I'm, I'm fully immersed, very happy to be here. And quickly, just if people... CIH, talk a little bit about that to apply because I think it's important that people know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll start talking about CIH as, as congratulating Michael because Michael actually has just recently gained his CIH chartered membership, which is our highest level of membership. And the, the point of CIH is really to provide this professional standards throughout our sector. Um, we really are a unique sector. We have a unique level of um, types of skills, level of knowledge we need to be successful here. And CH is really about building sort of learning opportunities for people to gain those skills and knowledge in a structured way so that everybody has access to it. So we're a professional body of membership. And then the main thing we do is provide qualifications for people, either at an operations level or at a um, sort of a strategic planning level. Um, and, and Michael has actually just done what we call our experience professional route. And that's professionalism for people who have already been here in the sector, like Michael, for many, many years a lot of on-the-ground knowledge and just taking that to that next level and elevating our entire sector. Yeah, and, and thank you for that, Mary. It's a, a great program, and I, often we get asked by our staff in the sector, how can I learn more? And Nick does some of that work too, I know, And because really when you're going to university, and I'll tell you just a quick funny story. There was a couple of years ago, uh, probably four or five years ago, Seneca College said, would you teach a homelessness course in our social services worker? I'm like, absolutely. Uh, no one signed up. So the course did not go. Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, maybe we didn't promote it well enough. But there's not a lot out there for people. Once they're in the sector, usually you're saying, okay, there's so much to learn. Drinking from a fire hose, right? Like, where can I go? Where is this kind of set up? And NCIH does wonderful work. So check that out. Absolutely. I'll just show you this. This is my uh, recently, this is my, my certificate here. So uh, thank you, Mary, to you and the team for your support in uh, helping me do that. It was a wonderful experience. And I encourage others to do the same. Nick, tell us about your journey. I know uh, I know you did some frontline work first, right? Yeah, mine started 25 years ago. I was finishing uh, a master's program at uh, York University in political science. And I then uh, worked as a parliamentary intern in Ottawa. But my attention was focusing, starting to focus increasingly on poverty. And I wanted to know how I could, uh, you know, get more exposure to it on a kind of day-to-day -day basis. And a professor of mine had a son who was working in the sector. That son is still kind of in the sector. A guy named Nick Saul, who does uh, food security now. Uh, Nick was sort of my in to the sector. I started doing uh, frontline work at a place called Dixon Hall in Toronto. I did 10 years of frontline work at a variety of organizations in Toronto. Uh, after 10 years of that, I went back to school to do a PhD in public policy. 
Uh, and then upon graduation, the Calgary Homeless Foundation came knocking. They were interested in hiring a director of research and data. I did that for four years. And now uh, for the past four years, I've been an independent consultant. I'm the president of Nick Falvo Consulting. So uh, it's been a 25 year journey for me. And for me, uh, every day keeps getting more interesting. And you do some work. I know you've put out a lot of uh, courses or in Homelessness 101, really kind of bringing people on board. Because I think part, part of our challenge as a sector, as we look to uh, move many ideas forward, is your average Canadian has no, like, I mean, they're very, I, I like to think that once they know they'll do something, but they really, when they think of homelessness, they may think of whatever they've seen on social media, the movies, growing up, that kind of thing. So they don't really understand the broad strokes of it. And, and that's kind of what some of your work does, does it not? Correct. I would even say, Michael, that a lot of people in the sector don't have a good formal training in homelessness. There are, there are people who've been in the sector for 10 or 15 years uh, who haven't done, I would say, introductory readings on rather basic concepts. So that's a big reason why I've started writing an open access textbook, which is intended for people in the sector and also people new to the sector. So it's a big problem that that idea, we, we kind of need a CIH Canada for homelessness, frankly, or maybe I'll say a beefed up section of homelessness in the CIH Canada curriculum. Um, big challenge in our sector. Lots of smart people, but lots of people who didn't really get the right training. Absolutely. And Nick, that's, listen, I, I smell a possible partnership here, a new, new, <laughs> you know, new section for CIH. So thank you both for the work you're doing in education and creating awareness. It's a huge part of uh, moving out of this uh, housing homelessness crisis we find ourselves in. But let's talk about, so in May, 2023, and it started a lot sooner, and we're gonna talk about that, uh, you organized, the two of you organized a study tour to New York City uh, with a group of about, I think, 25 people. Uh, can you tell us about like, how did that even that come up in conversation? Why New York City? Um, and, and when you kind of put it out there first, when you thought of it, what was the immediate response? Uh, Nick, we'll start with you, then maybe go to Mary. Yeah, so I've been going to conferences for years, and I've been doing various forms of public education and homelessness for years, in and out of the classroom, I guess you could say. And it dawned on me that in Canada, in our sector, we don't look south of the border very often. We look across Canada, we look east-west, but we tend not to look south. Uh, so if we'll have like a homelessness conference in Ottawa or Edmonton or wherever, we might have a site tour, site tours of the local region, and we'll talk to people from different parts of Canada. We rarely look south. And Adana, I mean, this is really quite unfortunate because a lot of these American cities aren't that far away. You know, uh, they're, just, they're just over the border. Uh, short flights, even uh, drives for some people. Also, it dawned on me that New York City, just being massive, would be filled with innovative approaches to homelessness. Um, there are about 70,000 people a night in, in uh, I think, municipal shelters in, in New York City alone. Uh, New York City has had formal homelessness responses for decades. They're quite established. They've been doing it for a long time. And it just dawned on me that there have to be very important learnings in New York City's homelessness sector. What if a group of us were to go down there and learn about what they're doing? It wouldn't take us long to get there. It wouldn't be any more expensive traveling to New York than um, a lot of Canadian cities. Why not give it a shot? And we thought um, we, we thought maybe we'd get five or ten people the first year. 
And it sold out in five days. Uh, we ended up taking 30 people. So I reached out to Mary Clark as I started to get this idea because I thought logistically and from a curriculum standpoint, she could bring a lot of strength through CIH Canada. And so I reached out to her and we started to plan it together. It took us about a year to plan. Yeah, absolutely. We were really surprised. You know, Nick and I are putting this together and I said, well, we'll, we'll open registration. And hopefully we'll have enough to go. You know, we get, we're, we're talking about, you know, okay, what's the minimum? We need at least this many people, right? And, and then we can go. Um, and then, yeah, sure enough, you know, within two weeks, all the spots we'd had were filled up. So we had to have a conversation, go back to some of our, our site hosts and say, you know, we've got a lot of people who want to come. Can you, can you host a few more people? And, uh, and we slowly inched up from there. So ended up with 30 uh, plus Nick and I. So um, yeah, no, huge, huge response. People were really excited, I think, to get out of their own communities and see something a little bit different um, and have a chance to travel with people who are very like-minded with the same goals of, of you know, bringing back some lessons on homelessness from somewhere else that they can bring back to their community. So uh, we were, we were really excited. It was the show of interest was so strong that Nick and I sort of gained energy as we went, I think, knowing that there was going to be uh, so much interest. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? I, I'm not shocked by that. Cause I think much like you kind of thought, you know, we just like Nick said, we, we look across the country or we don't do, I think, you know, there's some people working really hard, looking at different things. And this was kind of fresh and new for myself. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, of course. Uh, I live in Toronto and work north of Toronto uh, in the sector. And I thought that there's got to be a lot of similarities. But aside from the similarities, and we'll get into this, there's probably a lot of stuff they're doing different as, as, as being, you know, in a different country. Uh, but what can we learn from that as well, right? So it was fascinating. I'm not surprised. But you did something a little different, too. This was not just people from across the homeless and housing sector. In fact, there are some people from uh, the uh, policing sector. How did that come about? So we wanted to have a tour of the uh, NYPD Police Academy in Queens. We had learned about a partnership they had with a grassroots organization, a civilian organization, if you will. And we were told that uh, it could be pretty neat if we got there because they have professional actors and they have mock subway cars. So it'd be a neat place to go to if we could get the chance to. But in order for the NYPD to grant us access, they would want to see people from our group in law enforcement. So quickly, uh, I started reaching out to my contacts across Canada, asking for people in the law enforcement sector who might be interested in a homeless tour, homelessness tour. And within days, we had a handful of people saying, yeah, I'll go. And that, was, that kind of blew me away because that, that made me realize how much law enforcement folks in Canada have a strong interest and uh, engagement in the homelessness sector. So that was a learning for me. And it, was, it made the, the tour, I think, much stronger to have, I think there were about five or six people from law enforcement on the tour. I agree, Nick, and I think it was really interesting to talk to those people that were with us on the tour and hear them describe their roles, because as far as they were concerned, they're professionals working in the, you know, space, homelessness space. You know, they were, yes, they're police officers, but they were frontline workers, and this is people that they're meeting every single day, and they're dealing with very, you know, people sometimes in crisis, sometimes just chatting with people on the street, getting to know people, um, you know, sometimes giving people rides to shelters, you know, helping them find supports. Uh, it was really interesting to see that. And from the application standpoint, like watching those applications roll in through my inbox, it was really interesting to see because, 
you know, that meant that they had also their employer's support, right? Those police departments were totally behind them coming and spending three days in New York with us, just talking about what's going on with homelessness and how can we do better? Let's look at some innovations, um, you know, talk to your colleagues and let's see what we can get out of this. And so I thought that was really, really great for all of Canada that our police departments were really keen to be part of that. You know, and I was, it was unexpected, but it was very, very cool just to talk, to get that different perspective. We've got, uh, where I work um, in Northern GTA, we've got a great relationship with the police who, who really want to wrap their heads around it. And you see that the police get a bad rap, right? And even when we were in New York, and we'll talk about that too, just, the you know, where, where some, some places they want to police homelessness. And so you'll get, you know, and rightly so, there's, there's some officers that have uh, not, uh, have broken a lot of themselves or not done the right thing or, or think differently. But what this tour showed us too, is there's a lot of uh, police forces and officers that are heavily vested in doing what's best for community. And just even talking with them, I had a great conversation with uh, Mark uh, from Victoria, who was talking about uh, just recently in 2023, um, a change in uh, rules around criminalization of, of drugs. And, you know, and it was talking about him. It wasn't, he, in his mind, it wasn't working well. Right, so it's a different kind of through a police officer's eyes who's out in the community. What do you see? So I think that really added to the group dynamic. Many of us knew each other through, uh, you know, the different conferences, but having them sprinkle throughout and, and chatting about it, it just opened up the conversations uh, and really put a different lens on things. So brilliant and well thought out. Uh, Nick, recently you put out it just dropped um, a list of ten things to know about homelessness in New York City. Uh, I was wondering if, if you and Mary could just kind of walk through um, those uh, th that list uh, for our listeners. Yeah, Mary and I <clears throat> did not want this to be exclusive. Uh, in other words, we knew that 30 people would come. We also knew that many more would want to come. And so, uh, as you'll recall, Michael, I, was, I had my laptop with me the whole tour, vigorously taking notes the whole time because I wanted to get everything. And so we have written a 20-page summary of the tour, which has all the content free of charge. Uh, right now, it's one place you can get it is at my website, nickfalvo.ca. I suspect it will be up at the CIH Canada's website shortly as well. And so knowing, though, that not everyone will read 20 pages uh, all the time, um, there's a, an 800-word summary also at my website, uh, nickfalvo.ca which walks the reader through it quickly. And it's something that you can just scroll through quickly while you're reading your, uh, having your breakfast cereal or on the subway, so to speak. And so there's something, it, it tells you something about everything we did and it includes a link to the full report. So there's you know, a short paragraph on uh, the size of New York City's homeless population. <clears throat> there's a short paragraph on the, the, the legal rights, the right to shelter in New York. Uh, one paragraph looks at low barrier shelters. Another one looks at a more a higher barrier shelter and what that model looks like. Um, there's a paragraph about um, safe havens, which involve a certain level of privacy. There's shelters with privacy built into them. Uh, there's a paragraph about tenant mix, particularly the tenant mix offered at community access, which is where we had a site tour on the first day. There's a section on public libraries, and in particular, the role played by the Brooklyn Public Library in the, the homeless serving sector there. Um, there's a paragraph about the police training I talked about. 
another paragraph on uh, prioritizing the jail, uh, corrections population as they're coming out of jail into homelessness. And finally, there's um, a paragraph about a randomized controlled trial study uh, about income assistance, like a basic income for youth. So um, it's something you, that blog post is something you can scroll through if you have three minutes. And it has a link to the full 20-page summary if you want to know what we covered but didn't have the chance to go to New York. Yeah, this is something Nick and I, right from the start, were really clear about. We didn't want to just take everybody, have a good time in New York, and go back and just everybody go back to their their daily, day-to-day jobs. We wanted to make sure that we really captured everything so that um, so that we could bring it to everybody else, but also even the people who were there can come back, sit down and reflect. So, Michael, hopefully you'll have a chance to sit down and go through it. And, um, you know, you'll you'll probably have your own notes to write in the margins of, yeah, I really did like that. Or, you know, that's not really my impression of this one, because um, we really want to make sure that this is learning that goes to our whole sector and really resonates and actually impacts the work that we're doing um, as we go forward. We don't want to just leave it. It's not a, you know, what happens in New York stays in New York. It's a, what happens in New York, we bring back with us and we, we spread out everything good that we brought with us. Yeah, so I mean, also learnings, uh, and, and thanks for, for summing it up uh, so well. I think there were some surprises when we went there. Well, for me, there was definitely, right? When I talk about, there was a lot of stuff like, this would be great to do. I think of um, Point Source for Youth, you know, saying, hey, look, they were doing a direct income um, piece for youths, giving them about $24,000 a year. And um, and Larry, uh, the executive director, saying, listen, it costs $60,000 a year to keep a youth in the system, in the emergency shelter system. Why, you know, and for, for less than half of that, we can have better outcomes by just providing this income. Also telling us to check our, our adultism uh, at the door. And it was so, so amazing. So stuff like that, where I'm like, we need to do that in Canada. There was also stuff where I was like, oh, I, I don't think we'd ever do this, right? Like, or this is definitely not something that we'd want to replicate, right? When we, we'd go in and and it was fun among the colleagues to uh, and having people there like Dr. Abe from, uh, from uh, London, just, you know, knowing that these are people that know their, their info or looking at the stats, looking at incarceration, all these different pieces, right, that, that can really pick apart and uh, are on kind of one side of things. And, and so it was great. What about for the two of you? What are some of the biggest surprises or learnings? Uh, we'll start with Mary this time. Yeah, I agree, Michael. I think having the, the people we did have on the ground were really helpful because, um, you know, because the group we had, I find each of the site tours, you could look around and at any given time, there were some people that looked really excited and, and other people who looked really skeptical. And I, I definitely heard a comment at one point saying, you know, in Toronto, like we're a couple of steps past this. Like this would be going backwards for us. This wouldn't be going forwards. And even that I thought was a really important learning is sort of saying, actually, we're, we're not, this is not for us. This is not the right direction we're going. And we don't want to go this direction. We've actually chosen this path for these reasons. And I think there were some clarifying lessons there as well. So it wasn't just learning new and innovative ways to do things. It was also learning, actually, we're comfortable going this direction. We're comfortable doing things our way, our Canadian way, uh, which is always really good to do as well. Um, And then I, I was surprised at how the reactions were different 
for different people. They weren't excited about different things and they were skeptical about different things. And to me, that was really eye-opening too and saying, you know, we do have different approaches. We're all trying to get to the same goal. I think that's very clear for us. How we want to get there and the systems we want to use to get there are different. You know, we, there's a lot of different things we need. Um, you know, certainly one of the favorite highlights for me was the Brooklyn Library. As a, as a heavy public library user, I'm always happy to step into a library and stepping into a library that's not just about a library card and books, but about communication, about connections, about, you know, tapping people into ideas and, and just communities. I thought that was really great. Um, and, you know, points of your youth, I thought that was one of my favorite things they said was, um, oh, how did he put it? Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Oh, it was something about, you know, you let, give, give youth the money and let them make their decisions. Like you've got to just give them the ability to go out and do it. Oh, and, and the staff, and they were saying, um, because they weren't just giving them the money, they actually had a lot of staff in place um, and, and services for them. But there was no requirement for the youth receiving the income to use those services. And, and I think he said to us, he said, listen, it's not the job of the youth to come and access the services, but it is the staff's job to continually reach out. Their, their job is to make sure that they touch base as much as they can but it's not the job of the youth getting the income. And I thought, yeah, that's the right way to think about it, right? We don't need to make all these requirements of people. It doesn't need to be a part-time job to get access to this. <laughs> yeah, Larry was great. The, the it, it was a I huge highlight, I think, for all of us. Uh, he just, I liked how he didn't pull punches. He's like, yeah. all right, let's cut the shit. And like, this is what, and, and you know, it's kind of like, it made me always think of, we get in our own way so often by, you know, we're going to do this, but, 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 and then you have to, and then, and then wonder why it doesn't work. Right. And Larry's like, you got to keep it simple and we're going to get the outcomes. And, and I think, you know, uh, and we also had, you did such a great job of putting together uh, the group. You had funders there like, well, you know, that would, you know, what about, and, and he was, you know, pushing through that. So you do get all these from researchers to people who are delivering service to funders to the police officers Right. It, it, to what you said there, I remember when we were in Jersey uh, and it was kind of a it was kind of a black and white kind of rules driven. You know, if you're not from here, we put you back on the bus, can't get service. And I saw a lot of the police officers were like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Right. Because it's, it's law and order. Right. Like this is what. It, and then you saw the social service people. Like, oh, that would never fly. Would never do. You know, so you're right with the reactions. But it was awesome to watch the room. I make that vote for you. Well, yeah, probably three big uh, takeaways for me. One is um, legal rights don't always generate their intended outcomes. That's actually point number two of, of the blog post I wrote. Um, New York City has what's called a right to shelter. It was something that started in 1981. It was like an out-of-court settlement. 
Um, and it was essentially um, a decision made by the New York State Supreme Court. Grassroots organizations had pushed hard to get this. And essentially what it says is under this right to shelter, anyone who is homeless can walk into an outreach center and the city has a legal requirement to place them into a shelter within 24 hours. And if they don't, the city gets fined. So a lot of grassroots activists in 1981 were thrilled that this decision got made. However, um, there are now 75,000 people uh, who sleep every night in New York City's main municipal shelter system. So it's a, it's a bit of an example of be careful what you wish for. Um, I don't think, I doubt the grassroots activists who pushed for this envisaged, you know, wanted to see a massive emergency shelter system. I'm sure they wanted to see a lot more housing with appropriate wraparound supports, but that's not what the decision was. And so be careful what you wish for, especially with legal rights. I, I studied public policy and I'm a firm believer. If you want something, put it in the budget. Stop it with these legal rules and mumbo jumbo and all this intellectual jargon about right to this, right to this. Put it in the budget. So that was an interesting learning for me. Second, the role of public libraries. I think in most Canadian communities, public libraries don't see themselves as having a huge role to play in the homeless serving sector. I'm sure there are exceptions. And I'm sure there are some staff at some public libraries who have a passion for this. But Brooklyn Public Library has a, an ongoing um, relationship with family emergency shelters in Brooklyn. They bring books to children. They get children their first library card. They get the first library card for the parents. They get the children dragging their parents to the library. It's this wonderful thing that happens. And I think Canadian libraries have something to learn from Brooklyn Public Library and Canadian homeless serving sectors has something to learn from, from this example. And the homelessness officials in Canada need to push their local libraries to do more. That was a learning as well. And finally on corrections, um, Bergen County Housing Center uh, is located directly across the street from a jail. And the person who runs the jail's discharge system used to work at the housing center they work really closely. So as people are leaving corrections, they go right into the housing center where they can start a housing search. And this is planned for months in advance. We need to do more of that in Canada. We need to stop having two separate systems. Awesome, yeah, there, there was some, some great learnings there. You talk about that, that right to shelter. You know, when I first, I'm like, wow, like how ahead of its time, the 80s. And, and then you kind of see, as you said, what, what that created, but also things like um, having to be having to prove you've been in the shelter system a year before you qualify for public housing, which is very odd to, to really keep people, want to keep people in shelter for that long before they can access housing right away. I know a lot of this is, is changing over time. Actually, maybe not always for the good, right? That we heard a lot of talk, political talk too, about the new mayor um, and, and some thoughts about getting rid of that right to shelter as well, uh, changing too uh, for the good, that piece uh, around housing. We, we also saw, like, I mean, if you look at what's happening uh, in Toronto right now with, and, you know, many major cities uh, after the pandemic where uh, subway systems, transit systems are seeing a lot more uh, homelessness activity uh, and activity with people with uh, various mental health additions, challenges, uh, hanging out around the city and not knowing how to deal with it uh, to, of course, support them, but also uh, support people taking public transit. And we saw in New York City, uh, their big answer was uh, arresting and removing 
uh, people from the system. And we did see when we talked to when that visit to the police station or to the training station there, um, academy, the, the, the police officers talking about how they really, really struggled with that. My understanding is that back in the 80s and 90s, under Mayor Giuliani, um, there was a major crackdown on fare evasion and any kind of so-called social disorder in the transit system. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote about this, I think, in The Tipping Point. I get his books confused. I think that was the book. And they, they used something called the broken windows theory. Yeah. And it, they took the view that if you crack down massively, even on relatively small offenses, that this will have implications for the broader system. I'm sure it's controversial, but certainly, um, quote unquote, social disorder in the transit system has been a major part of New York City's history. And uh, it has uh, it has had important, uh, there have been some important dynamics uh, linked to the homelessness sector for sure. Mary, any, any, any thoughts on that? Just around how they're going to deal with it. I got to tell you that uh, the police officer who talked to us at the training academy, uh, she was like, if I had to stereotype or, or think of a New York City beat cop, she was it. I mean, I thought it was almost like you guys hired her off the set of a uh, law and order or something. Uh, she was fantastic, but just really open and funny and uh, I, I agree. She was fantastic. And we knew going in there that they hired actors, right, for the actual scenario playing. I thought, is she one of them? She's doing great. She's got this role down. But that was just her, right? She she was fantastic. Um, you know, what, what I really noticed was that we talked about uh, the policy. Manhattan, we, we, Nick did a great job of doing our site visits. So we were in all the boroughs, right? So we were, were out in Queens. We were in Brooklyn. Um, we, we went out to New Jersey. We were in Manhattan. Um, so we, we did quite a bit of wandering around, which means we were on the transit system as well. That's what we were moving around with. And certainly in the crackdown is evident. Manhattan, there is, I, I think I only saw four people sleeping on the street, walking around Manhattan for three days. Um, almost no visible signs of homelessness within the transit system, moving around. It's that policy has really, I mean, been successful. And that you don't see it, you know, as tourists wandering around New York City, but certainly in the boroughs felt more like real life, right? We got out into the boroughs and there were people who were clearly didn't really have a place to go, you know, lingering at picnic tables and park grounds, you know, in those in between public spaces that nobody really belongs, uh, you know, so people were making their spaces, right? Um, and certainly talking to the outreach groups up in uh in one of their boroughs who were, who were out constantly meeting with people and building relationships with people, right, who were ongoing living on the street um, and making their home there and, you know, reaching out to them in order to help bring them into shelter if that was the right place or matching up with housing. Um, so I certainly found just walking around, you could see the policies at play. And I was surprised by that, how clear it was. Public parks as well. I mean, I think they, they hire private security, right? So you don't see people sleeping in Central Park. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, uh, and it's not that it doesn't exist. Like we saw it, but yeah, it was it was evident. You're just going to push people out of Absolutely. the city, right? It's not, not a true solution. As you said, successful yeah. to their measured outcomes that it's, but uh, not successful in supporting the people experiencing homelessness, uh, not so much. Um, mm, Absolutely. So we leave New York City, and you wrote, here's your tab, but like takeaways, stuff that right away you thought, man, you know, 
I'm going to take this. This is going to stick in my mind for a while. I got three. Uh, first one, I was blown away by the take-up and the interest in the tour, uh, as stated earlier in our conversation today. Um, we sold out in one week. We had people from our waiting list begging us, lobbying us via email and Twitter direct messaging, please get me on that tour. So we were initially going to take just 20, and then finally Mary had the great idea to just say, maybe we could take 30. And that, that worked logistically. We still had no trouble getting 30. The, the massive take-up, the quick take-up blew me away. I did not think we'd sell out in one week. Uh, so that was a, a wonderful learning. Another one was uh, the networking during the tour. Um, you know, I was, you know, we were, uh, I think, in an Uber XL headed to New Jersey. I think Michael, you and I were in the same minivan, and it was me and about, what, four or five executive directors. And I turned around at one point, I said, you guys, so what's, what makes for the ideal board member? You know, and, and I mean, you can, we could have these long conversations in between site tours and over meals. And a lot of people told me that, you know, they got to know people that they, they don't get to see on a regular basis. And they, they now have a working relationship with someone new. So that networking was huge, uh, an important component of the tour. The third takeaway, and this is going to sound a bit pedestrian, but really important, was how important, how easy it is to get around a city with Google Maps. It has really come a long way. The first morning, I thought to myself, oh, my God, how are we going to get to Bronx Works? How are we going to get to the Bronx? Uh, I've got some directions on paper here, folks. And, you know, Abe Uchern just pulls out his phone casually and says, okay, Google Maps says go here, go here. It was like nothing. Getting around on Google Maps in New York City was like getting around your own city with Google Maps. Here's the rub with that, with Abe, who's like a super triathlete. The only thing is keeping up with that guy. He almost killed me in traffic, right? He's about half my weight. He moves twice as fast. So, yeah, uh, if you keep up with Abe, he's going to get you there. Yeah, for sure. It, it was. I agree. Getting around the city was uh, It was cool. You guys made it simple. Mary? Mary said early on, she said, Nick, you know, I think public transit could be a really important part of this tour. And she was right. It actually was one of the more interesting. And I had fun traveling on transit with everybody. It, it, was, an, it, was, a, it was a wonderful part of the tour. Yeah, I, I agree, Nick. I'm, I'm, I mean, yes, I, I was definitely pushing for it. I'm a huge, uh, huge fan of public transit. Um, not in my own city right now, but definitely um, in our larger cities where it's got a long history of functioning. Uh, good way to move around. And yeah, it was really nice to be with a group of people that were happy to wander the city and, and get from place to place. And I think we got a lot out of the in-between time. Um, Nick and I did our best to not overschedule it. So we had two site visits a day at most. Um, and, and we had some in-between time. We had some moving around time and, and time for baseball games for those, for those inclined. And I think a few people got to shows, uh, which we also really need in our sector. I think we all work at, you know, as much, as many hours as we can get in this week because we know it's not going to be done. So, so we just keep at it. And so I think getting those, um, those little breaks from it as well was really important for people. Um, one of the other learnings I had was how much being somewhere else and seeing politics play out a little bit differently helps clarify how it plays out at home. Um, and I, I, you know, I heard different interesting comments, you know, a couple where, you know, well, our politicians won't do that. They won't sit at that table, um, you know, or they don't have the same kind of leadership or, or you know, authority in, in these spaces. And other comments saying, you know, 
we don't need politics. Like we don't need the politicians for this one. This is one we can do. A uh, good example of that was that the public library was a good inspiration for people. And I, I talked to two participants who came home and within a month of being home, went and talked to their public library. One renewed a relationship that had just dropped from the pandemic, um, renewed that relationship to come back into their shelter system. And one reaching out to say, like, what can we do to start some things up? Um, and so that was really great to see people um, not, not letting the politics stand in their way either. Um, but I think that was, it, it's helpful to step outside of your own systems and see. I mean, they're not that different in New York, but they are, right? Then they feel different. So I, I thought that was a big learning outcome as well. Yeah, so right. And they did talk too about this recent, like this new mayor, right? And, and the changes that every time you have a political shift, as we see across the country, Alberta mm. provincially has had a change or, well, not really change, but it had you know, a, a different kind of leader in there. Toronto just has a new mayor. Um, some cool things happening in BC and there's all these shifts, right? As things shift in uh, across our country. So it's neat to see the same things happening in New York. Uh, interesting with the, the libraries, a few years back, uh, I talked with, uh, there's a guy out of Chicago, Ryan, uh, Ryan Dowd, who's called the homeless librarian. Um, and he did, you know, he was asked once to go into a library in Chicago. He runs a, a, one of the biggest shelters in Chicago. And they said, can you come talk to us about we're seeing a lot of people experiencing homelessness come in. Um, and he did that and then he put it on YouTube and it just took off. Right. And then Amelia has reached out to him to be a consultant on a movie he was doing. And so now Ryan does this like a big part of his job and he puts out all these tips. And, he, and it's, it's great because he'll say, here's what happened in the shelter and how we dealt with someone. To, so for librarians who now we're saying, and I love what you're both saying about that, which play a huge part in community um, and their communities for everyone. How do you talk with someone who's asleep? How do you approach someone who might have mental health issues? How do you, like all those different pieces, how do you support them more? How do you see yourselves as being a support? Uh, and, and Ryan was a guest uh, on the pod once, and it was fascinating to, to hear him, uh, how it all came about, how he continues to do that, and how that's even spread from libraries to banks to businesses that where people are seriously homeless will frequent, you know, just all those different things and, and how it's not just up to the sector to uh, work around this crisis and, and support our, our uh, people most in need, for sure. Now, let's talk about 2024. Excitement coming out of that tour. You guys, before we even left, you've already planned. You had already given. And I'm excited about this because New York was pretty cool. Cool to see what's happening in a, you know, south of the border. But often, and I don't want to give away, often in the research that we do, I've, I've been a part of bringing two programs from this place over to Canada because we're, we're so alike in many ways, given how our government's set up and how the programs are run and some of the challenges we have. Um, talk about, tell me a little bit about 20 tour, study tour 2024. Go ahead, Nick. So when we sold out in five days for New York, I think it became quite clear that this had the potential to be an annual event. And um, so Mary and I, uh, you know, would like, are going to keep talking about trying to make this happen for May 2024. Um, I'm going to be dorky and tell you why I think London's a good choice. The dorky is this, um, in the social welfare literature, I'm getting a bit academic here, Canada's social welfare system is supposed to lend well to being compared to the U.S., the U.K., Australia and New Zealand. These are all countries who have similar social welfare systems, 
which means comparing us and um, drawing lessons from each other is considered good practice. If you compare ourselves with a totally different system, the uh, kind of a, you know, transmission of a policy from one place to another makes it more complicated. So UK is a good example, a good place to go, just as the US was. Um, and we have a connection there. We have somebody locally who has uh, agreed to team up with us and to talk to us about innovations in their sector. We've identified a week, uh, the week of May 6th to 10th, 2024, as having strong potential for a study tour. Um, Mary and I still have to figure out some things. For example, how much of it's going to be housing? How much of it's going to be homelessness? What's going to be the length of time? We're thinking of doing a housing cohort and a homelessness cohort, different parts of the week with some overlap. So we're still trying to figure that out, but we are working towards a study tour, May 2024 in London, targeting the week of May 6th to 10th. Yeah, I'm really excited about for this too, because I constantly work with colleagues in the UK to develop our CIH program. And so I have monthly meetings with a, a couple of people and, and a couple of them are based right in London. So we'll be able to use all of our contacts there. And so it'd be really nice to dive a little bit more into some of the policies and the buildings that they're doing over there. A lot happening in the UK right now. Um, so yeah, definitely expanding this one a little bit. Uh, I think there's, there's something about flying over an ocean that makes us think maybe more than two and a half days would be worthwhile. Uh, New York was good. We did two and a half days. Um, and so it made it so we can make it you know, a short week for everybody to come down and, and get back again. But London's going to be a little bit more extensive, a bit more opportunity to divide um, dive into some of the more housing elements uh, alongside the homelessness stuff. So uh, really, really looking forward to that. Very cool. I'll tell you, we did kind of an impromptu tour a few years back, uh, 360 Kids and Raising the Roof because of the programs over there. So we, we went over for something called Night Stop and checked out their conference. We were the only Canadians there. Uh, this is like a host homes type of program. And uh, then we took off to uh, Leeds to see kind of like a reside type of uh, repurposing vacant homes program that they've, they've done. It was awesome. And then we went to Manchester uh, for something else, I think. for, But it was like talk about transit. It was all transit. Trains just hopping on the trains um, all over. And it was uh, great to do. It's so interesting. And so uh, then went over to Scotland for a bit. Um, I mean, there's so much to learn and they're so open. And Mary, yeah, you know, if you think of the Chartered Institute of Housing uh, in the UK, right, like that is the the stamp of if you don't have that, you're not considered, you know, like th that is kind of the, the thing to have there. And, and having gone through the process, I'll tell listeners, it's great when you, you know, if you go the experienced professional route, your uh, part of your final work is talking to a panel of people from the Chartered Institute of Housing in the UK. And so I did my uh, chat at, uh, they were they're gracious enough to allow me 7 a.m. in the morning, of course, which was noon, uh, their lunch hour <laughs> in the UK, right? So I, I think, listen, I encourage people, I have no doubt you're going to have all sorts of interest in this, but man, the, the, the learnings from doing these study tours, what you could take back and implement and, and duplicate, right? Uh, what you can learn about the differences, the people you meet, Nick was so right in those on the train or on those Uber rides where, you know, I, I connected with so many people, veterans and, and legends in the game, right? Yeah. And Victor, Susan McGee, you had um, Patricia Mueller, you had, uh, you know, just, just people from um, all over the place. And it was so, so cool. And I love that. And we could talk through, Hey, I'm having this challenge for my organization. Have you over Victor spent a good 45 minutes as we were walking through, um, 
some borough <laughs> had just was walking me through. I had the same issue. I learned so much from him because he's a such a great guy and a veteran, right? So there's so many pieces to take away, spend time with your colleagues, but also the learnings that we can bring back as, you know, day to day, we read about the news, the housing and homelessness crisis, poverty um, crisis we're in continues to expand with new challenges. Uh, these bring new solutions. So thank you to both of you for putting together the study tour. It was incredible. I hope it becomes an annual place, uh, annual event, uh, and we'll look forward to hearing more uh, about the tour. That was the 6th to 10th. Was that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. May 6th to 10th, 2024. Okay. So look for look for registration information will come on in September. So if you watch Amazing. for it then. And Michael, maybe I'll just make a little pitch as well, because we actually didn't just have the executive directors and leaders of the organizations. We had a good handful of people that were fairly new in their posts yeah. and, and new in their jobs. And uh, one of the things I do at, at CIH is really talk about ways we can attract new people into the sector and retain people in the sector. You know, if you've got a really great person, just new on staff, study tour is a great way for them to come in, meet other people who are working, get some new ideas and keep them interested and excited about housing, sort of give them the big picture of everything that's going on. So I uh, would really encourage you if you're listening and you're the director of your organization, look around and see who you can point at and say, that's somebody I want leading this sector in five years. That's a great person to send on a study tour. And they get to build their network too, right? Like Absolutely. They start to build that across the country. So when they're struggling with something, they can reach out and say, you know, what have you done? Do you know of? And and one thing, you know, I love about the sector among many things is that, and you two are part of that network is when we hit obstacle, there's so many great people that will share and say, here's everything I've done. Don't recreate it. You know, you can make it better, but here's everything I've done. Uh, roll with it. And, and it's, it's so helpful. So uh, Michael, these, I, I'm not sure if you great. noticed this on the tour, but Nick and I, Nick had somebody, at least one or two contacts at each of our, each of our study tours that were going to lead us when we arrived. But when we arrived, there was not one, there was not two, there was often five people ready to spend half a day with our group. And we had said, you know, we'll take up two hours of your time. And, and they were not ready for us to go. Like they just were <laughs> so interested in being there with us too. And that was really encouraging for us. So not only were our Canadian groups really keen to go down, but our host organizations too. We're bringing people out of the woodwork. You know, here's somebody, this person's leading the youth stuff. You know, we've just promoted this person to the sector. So they're going to join us as well. Um, okay. You know, here's the head of outreach. So that was incredible to have that many people available. It for was. They, they were amazing. And I think Canadians must have a bit of a reputation because if you can recall, what was at every place we went to, every meeting we went to? <laughs> yes, donuts, donuts and coffee. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts yeah. are the equivalent of Tim Hortons. Was that every meeting we went to? So they're, they're, they were great. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was a good thing we were lovely. walking around a lot because there was a heck of a lot of donuts uh, <laughs> around for everyone. Um, listen, I want to give you both a chance to, if they, people want to learn more about your work, they want to check out this. I know Nick, you've already mentioned it, or they're thinking, you know what, September's rolling around. I, I'm interested in getting, you know, taking some educational courses and rolling. We'll start Mary with you. How can people find out more about CIH Canada and the work you're doing? Yeah, so you can look at our website, chcanada.ca. Um, brochures are on there for the different programs and levels that we offer. But I, I know it's a little bit confusing. So actually, I find the best way is if you just send me an email, um, let me know what you're doing, let me know where you are in your career, and we can arrange a chat and I can give you the, uh, 
the intro into where I think probably is a good fit for you and have a conversation about that. Because uh, as we said, people come in from the sector all over the place. It's hard to really map out uh, what would be useful for you. So uh, certainly feel free to send me a personal email and uh, we'll, we'll get you sorted out and, um, and I'll point you in the right direction. Or if you want to be on my mailing list for as soon as we announce our study tour, happy to take those email addresses now too. So that's just mclark, M-C-L-A-R-K-E at chra-achru.ca. Awesome. Thanks, Larry. Nick? Yeah, if you go online to nickfalvo.ca, you'll find my website and uh, you'll see, right, first thing you'll see if you go now is this summary of the New York City Study Tour. There are tabs at the top of the website. There's one for the open access book that I'm writing and that I'm, for which I'm uploading content as it becomes available. There's a, a tab for the blog and there's a, a tab for the online course I've taught before where all the material is available free of charge. So nickfalvo.ca. Awesome. Thanks so much to both of you for all the work you continue to contribute uh, to the sector and for the education awareness you're creating and for organizing this awesome tour. We look forward to next year having you back to talk about what we learned in the UK. Who definitely has, you know, when you think about over 50 million people on an island that could what fit inside Ontario, they know a little bit about finding spaces uh for people they know a little bit about housing and have for many years thank you both uh always welcome back we'll see you next time thanks great so thanks so much michael thanks i'm andrea askowitz and i'm allison langer and we are the hosts of writing class radio a podcast but we are so much more we have writing classes so if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community write to a prompt get feedback and get better check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com and listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.